ways everlasting, forever, throughout all eternity. That's kind of where we've been going in this series. Um, Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. I want to invite you to be with us. We're going to start a new teaching series uh, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're calling it Living with Power for Today. And uh, we're going to examine what it means for God to be in us, with us, moving through us. Uh, Beginning Pentecost Sunday, that's the historic date that the church has celebrated, the the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that more next week. I threw a question out online. I'm going to throw it out again now, and maybe you can put it into the the, the chat if you're on Facebook with us or if you're on YouTube. Um, and, and, And the question is just this. What's the first thing that you will do that you're not doing now when COVID restrictions are lifted? What's the first thing that you'll do? You can throw it in the chat online. Um, what are you most looking forward to when, when, when all of this is, is lifted? I'll, uh, I'll try to monitor the feed here and see. I put the question out on um, our OEC Community Online uh, Facebook group earlier in the week, and so I've got some of those answers. I'll maybe I'll recount some of those as well in a couple of minutes here. Um, Christianity Today published uh, an article this week outlining the historic growth of the church during times of restraint and limitation, uh, during times of persecution. Historically, the church has grown when it has been persecuted. Um, It's an extraordinary, remarkable reality. Um, Quite a few years ago, uh, I had the privilege of leading a small uh, short-term mission team to Israel, interestingly, Um, And we had the privilege of experience just a little taste of the pressure that comes from persecution. As we did some street ministry and shared the hope of Jesus on some beaches, and uh, it was an extraordinary experience, and what what we experienced was that when we were persecuted, we were emboldened and our faith became more real, more touchable, more profound in us, and and it was this remarkable reality. I'm going to come back to that. I've been asking you what you're looking forward to, and let me just kind of see what I can find here. Um, Checking both feeds that we've got going. Uh, Earlier in the week, I checked with a couple of people, or I checked with those who wanted to. Some of the answers were repeated over and over again, and I would say, yeah, those are things that I would agree with too, like hospitality. What are you most looking forward to when a restriction, I'm looking forward to being able to have people in my home. I'm looking forward to being able to host a, a fire pit. Travel we've got here. Can't wait for retreats, someone has said on Facebook here. Um, absolutely. Um, somebody said uh, taking masks off. I, I loved how somebody sort of worded that opinion and, and they said just seeing one another's beautiful smiles. I'm looking forward to this true. Travel, eliminating distance, Catherine's looking forward to dance shows, that's fabulous, and concerts, playing soccer again, absolutely. There is much that we are looking forward to. Personally, I'm looking forward to restaurant meals. We don't go out a lot, but when we do, it's nice to be able to do so, nice to be able to share a table with somebody that's not in your household. I'm also looking forward to just having friends in our home, being able to sit around a fire pit or on the deck or, or around the living room 
And, and I know that's the case with many, but here's another one that I'm really looking forward to. And yeah, hugs, thank you, yeah. That's an, I think lots of people, handshakes, hugs. I'm looking forward to two or 300 people in this room singing their worship without restraint. I am really, really looking forward uh, to that. Um, but before we're freed from this restraint, Jesus would have us learn from it. Jesus said, Matthew chapter six, verse 21, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, for where your heart, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. New Living Translation words it this way. Wherever, you treasure, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now Jesus' brother James encouraged us in the letter that he wrote to the churches with this. James chapter one, he said, look, when you are tested, when you face trials, it comes with the, with the potential to refine us to strengthen us. So before we escape the clutches of this pandemic or whatever you choose to call it, let's be sure that we have caught the lessons that God has us, for us to master. And it's not just, to, oh, that's a good idea. He calls for us to attend to the questions in such a way that we master these questions. We embody the, the, the fruit that comes from this. Now this has been the heart behind the teaching series that we've been bringing since Easter Sunday. That, that we, would be, we would be equipped and prepared because we're invited to think about some things in the midst of restriction, the midst of poverty, that we sometimes don't think about when we're experiencing seasons of plenty, seasons of wealth. So, so, so what is it that we should be attending to? It's, it's natural that we ask questions in this season. It's imperative that we learn from the questions in this season or else it's been wasted. Like it's, it's been a lost 14 months or 16 months or whatever it's gonna be by the time we're out of it. We don't believe that as followers of Jesus. We believe that Jesus has a good work to do in every season that we experience. And here Jesus is warning us that we need to pay attention to what we treasure, what we most value, because your heart is gonna become attached to it. And, and, and so as we think about it, as we evaluate it, we, we want to be sure that our heart is attached to treasures that are worthy of that attachment. Now Jesus gave this warning in the midst of talking about heaven, which, which is kind of where we have been. The ambition that he has for us would be that what we treasure on earth reflect what we most long for eternally. If we were it a different way, we'd say, look, what I treasure on earth is saying something about my eternal destination. 
So I'm gonna come back to that thought in just a minute, but let's look at more of the context of Jesus' statement in Matthew 6. I'm gonna back up a couple of verses to verse 19. So again, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the first of five sermons of Jesus that Matthew recorded for us in his gospel. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, reads like this, Common English Bible version. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm kind of auguring at pandemic question number one. What am I valuing most? The second important question we ask in this season of of poverty, of restriction, is what is Jesus inviting me to look forward to? See, we're, we're taking a question that I think we're all asking, but we're putting the Jesus piece in the middle of it. And I promised in this series back at the beginning that we would eventually, uh, so we've been in this series where we began Easter Sunday looking at the subject of resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection of Jesus, but then Paul goes on to talk about our resurrection, and so we, we, we've talked about what that means, but as soon as we talk about our resurrection, we, gotta talk, we, we start talking about life after death. We're talking about uh, heaven, we've talked about hell, and, and then this brings us to then Revelation 20, 21, and 22, which kind of extends this conversation to what it describes there as a new heaven and a new earth that God is gonna bring. So, so let me just do a quick recap, if I can, and put it in this way. The New Testament writers, beginning with the words of Jesus, invite us to anticipate life after death. Jesus spoke of it often. And so when we say, well, what is that life after death? Here's the sequence that we've been uncovering. Our last breath on earth will be our first breath with Jesus. Just like the thief on the cross, those who have trusted Jesus will be with him in paradise. We talked about it a bit. This is our interim disembodied state. We will be with Jesus and we will be looking forward to receiving our resurrection bodies and we reviewed this. We'll receive those when Christ comes again at the second coming. Now at that point, at this point, most Bible students run into a little bit of unclarity. The the scriptures seem to say Well, it just doesn't seem to fill in all of the pieces we would like. Some of you are puzzlers. Um, I know I'm not a puzzler, but I have a couple of puzzlers in my home. Uh, Not puzzles in my home, although maybe, no, they're puzzlers in my home. Uh, If you get a puzzle and you're missing one or two or three pieces, it becomes a rather frustrating experience to try to put the puzzle together. Get the wrong one in the wrong spot. Eventually you've, oh, I'm missing some pieces. That's, that's one of the challenges that we have in this end time conversation. There are a few pieces that Jesus did not see fit to tell us 
And so we're trying to put the puzzle together knowing there are a few gaps that eventually will be filled in when we see Jesus. Bible scholars, Bible students get to this point in the conversation, the resurrection of the body, and and there's, there's two kind of primary directions that we go. Evangelical students of the Bible see one of two options here. One option is Christ returns and at the second coming, Jesus begins to rule for a thousand years. He will judge the living and the dead at the end of that thousand years. Or other Christian scholars, evangelical scholars, actually read this and as they put it all together say, this seems to be a period we are currently living in. When the scriptures in Revelation 20 talk about a thousand year reign of Christ, it's through the church and we're experiencing that now. I'm not going to expand on that, but I have in the sermon notes. On the back of the sermon notes, I've given you a couple of different links that you could go to. That if you'd like to dig into this a little bit more, uh, put a, a link to the Bible Project, an animation that's wonderful short description of this portion of the If you want to dig a little further, pull out the sermon notes on the OAC app or download them from our website and, and allow that to be part of your, your study this coming week. I also created the 10-minute coach. I do it every week just to help you kind of get back into the text that we've been in. It's available on the OAC app. It's available from our website. It's available if you link to our YouTube channel. Um, and, and, and it'll just kind of coach you in that inquiry. So, Let's recap one more time. Last breath, I'm with Jesus in term state, waiting for the second coming of Christ. At the second coming of Christ, we receive our resurrection bodies, and either Jesus reigns for a thousand years then and then brings judgment, or we're in the thousand years and Jesus brings judgment on his second coming, but the reality is judgment will come. Uh, the, The judgment of the righteous dead, those who have died in Christ, will be rewarded by Jesus. We talked about that when we spoke about heaven a couple of weeks ago. What we are doing in these years right now matters and it will be acknowledged on that day when we stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. The righteous dead, the wicked dead, those who have chosen not to worship Jesus will be judged also. They will be given, ultimately, the independence that they have demanded, but it will be a horrible existence that we, quite frankly, prefer not to have to think about, and yet that is the reality that the scriptures call us to attend to as well. So that's where we've been over these past few weeks. Enter now Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read this for you, starting at verse 1. I'm in the New International Version. It will be on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, 
For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. This begins to give us a glimpse into what Jesus is inviting us to look forward to. A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, no more sea. The, the Hebrew literature often referred to the sea as a picture of a, a place of chaos, of disorder. It refers to threat and trouble and distress. No more. It's all gone. No more tears, death, dying. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. It's a picture of the universe as God intended it. It's a return to the pristine world of the Garden of Eden before sin corrupted it. It's a promise of a clean start. It's a do-over. It's the perfect mulligan. It's the end which marks a new beginning. What are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to God literally dwelling with us it says, dwelling, his dwelling place is now among the people. It's referring to unimpeded access to God. It's referring to him being, Christ being, utterly central to the existence in this new world. Follow that thought with me here as we read just a little further. Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven, the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. I think that's us. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Okay, well, maybe it's us. Coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Old Testament coming together with New Testament, all part of this beautiful city, which is a bride that has been prepared for her, for her groom. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city in its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He just described a cube. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper in the city of, city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls, each made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. Now, we've talked about this before when we've been in the book of Revelation. I mean, frankly, words fail to describe the beauty of this place. I mean, I'd love to take you on a a walking tour of this space. You know, where we go around and we look at the wonders and and, and, and believe that that's going to be possible, but the reality is words fail. N.T. Wright described this by saying, look, it's like the road sign that points to the city you're going to. The road sign is not the city, and it is insufficient to fully describe the city, but it's a sign, and it's pointing toward something that is very real. Well, if that analogy is anywhere near appropriate, then these words just pale in comparison to the beauty and the splendor and the wonder that it truly will be. And there's another thing that's kind of interesting here, and that is in the numbers that are present. I appreciate the fact that the New International Version has not tried to translate the numbers into imperial or metric or something like that that we are familiar with, as much as it would be interesting. The numbers really aren't about the actual measurement, they're symbolic, which is true through much of the pages of the Old Testament. Seven, 10, 14, these numbers have some significance for us. You can dig into that if you would like. But, but it's this, a description of, of the perfection of this space. This is home as you have always longed for it to be. This is perfection beyond what we can even begin to imagine. And then you may have noticed that the numbers that were used described a cube. It's as wide as it is long as it is high. And and that's an allusion to, as much of this is an allusion to Old Testament stuff, but it's an allusion to the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle was a rectangle, it was long, uh, but the the Holy of Holies was one-third of it, and it was a cube. Go to the temple in Ezekiel, and it's a much bigger space. We come to this, and it's the entire space. It's, it's, this, it's symbolic language that's pointing us to the fact that this, the, the, the presence of God, the intimate presence that was known in the Old Testament as the Holy of Holies, is now everywhere. And Christ is utterly central in this, this new space, this, this new heaven, this new earth that, is, that we are looking forward to. And you'll notice what's missing. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. He's central. He's everywhere. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On, one, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. 
Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here we are in the middle of restrictions. Poverty of movement, poverty of association, uh, freedoms being restricted for a season. It invites us to evaluate what is most important to us. What treasure on earth am I most longing for? And what is that saying to me? Uh, What am I longing for, valuing? What is Jesus inviting me to look forward to? Okay, so what do I do with that? I mean, we are human beings who have genuine needs, genuine longings. Uh, I prefer good-tasting food over not-so-good-tasting food. Beverage, great quality French. I mean, these are things that we as human beings long for. So how do we wait in the middle of this? Jesus' brother James, James chapter 1, verse 2, wrote this for us. He says, my brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. We're going to do that? After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. So here we are in a season of of waiting, anticipating, being reminded that there's a bigger weight and a bigger anticipation that's much greater than these immediate circumstances, this year or whatever it is. But there's a bigger weight that is the weight that that comes through our entire lifetimes in anticipation of an eternity that is yet to come. And Jesus is inviting us to orient our hearts and that which we value accordingly. When I discover disparity between what ought to be and what is, there's an invitation to make a course correction. What do I do when when I discover that perhaps my heart is too much attached to a treasure that's not worthy of my life's allegiance? A treasure that will betray me? And and I I would say this, I know of no better way of turning the passions of my heart toward the treasure of Jesus than through worship. Every week when we come and and we invite one another to once again look to Jesus. Because when I worship, I'm reordering the priorities of my heart I'm I'm encountering truths with my mind and that's an amazing reality but when I worship and praise my mind calls my heart to fix its eyes on what is truly worth treasuring. What's truly worth treasuring? And we say, really it's that simple? Well, is an excellent start.
It's an excellent start. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. What we are looking forward to on that day is Christ being utterly central. And yet he invites us to make him so here and now. When, when I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy, holy unto him, I'm saying, I want my life to be fixed around the person and the work of Jesus. And in so doing, I'm anticipating that day when the new heaven and the new earth is a reality. And so when I come and worship, I come to say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing Holy, 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 you are holy, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Make it your prayer. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Sing it out, high and lifted. See you high and lifted up. Power. 
time that says face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face what it will be. When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me.